millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is Servant of the People. Now, please, before you hang up and go, I, I don't know this one, this is not going to be any good. Trust me, you have know the story about this TV show. There's a reason why you are unlikely to have heard the name of this TV show. And here's the hook, here's the hook. This TV show is the most amazing thing that this podcast could ever talk about. This is the concentrated plutonium of the whole point of condensed histories. Because, as I've said before, a lot of pop culture reflects either deliberately or subconsciously history. That's the whole idea behind this podcast. But on a few occasions, this pop culture becomes so important, so influential that it ends up influencing actual world events and therefore, in theory, history moving forwards. And while that may be true with the likes of Coca-Cola or whatever, it pales into comparison of Servant of the People. Now, if that sounds like a, a hard sell, how about this? This is the only TV show that anybody can find that is a fictional TV show that had to stop being made because the fiction it was portraying became real, which is a real head-scratcher. So, if you can see where this is going, Servant of the People is the English name for Sluga Narodu. Now, that is Ukrainian for Servant of the People, and yes, this is the Vladimir Zelensky vehicle about a history teacher who was so fed up with the corruption in Ukraine that he ends up kind of by accident running for president of Ukraine as an anti-corruption person, not linked to any specific party, and then unbelievably winning the election and becoming president of Ukraine. This all started in 2015. The last episodes, season three runs short, but season three was running in March of 2019. That's because in April of 2019, the star of the show, Vladimir Zelensky, becomes president of Ukraine. Which, if you wrote that in a... Well, I mean, it's a comedy, literally, that was written, and it's like, this. you're not meant to believe this. 
and then it ends up becoming an important historical document, basically. When we look back, and won't be me, but when people look back in a hundred years of the story of the Russia-Ukraine war and the presidency of Vladimir Zelensky and all other sort of like elements that we could be talking about, they will have to watch this TV show. This is, I don't know, I mean, th this is the problem. I, it's very hard to find a comparison. Yes, Herodotus is hugely important and, by the way, has a cameo in the show. I'm not making that up. But the thing is, the, the best two comparisons I can give you, and even these aren't perfect, is weirdly, there is somebody who's absolutely contemporary to Vladimir Zelensky and indeed gets tied up in the Vladimir Zelensky story, and there's somebody else who isn't really. The person I just alluded to is Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, and yes, he was a film star, but he was a film star more in the 50s and 60s. He was never going to trouble the likes of Clark Gable or John Wayne or somebody like that. He was a medium-level movie star. He wasn't even a movie star, he was a movie actor. He tended to play the big brother or the best friend. He was not opening the likes of El Cid or Ben-Hur or something like that. You know, again, he, he just wasn't in the same league of someone like Charlton Heston, for example. And indeed, by the time he became president in 1980, his movie career was long gone. He had basically become a part of the Republican elite in California. This is something else that's kind of forgotten about, that California used to vote Republican, now it tends to vote Democrat. And actually, when he started off in his career, he was Democratic, and then he moved to become Republican. Now, look, for the record, I don't care what your politics are. I might well be mentioning people that you don't like, but that's different to what happened as historical record. You've got a movie star who ends up becoming President of the United States, but while that's a cute line, the reality is there was probably about a 15-year gap between any big Hollywood stuff and him becoming president of the United States. Then the other person is another Republican president. you got Donald Trump. Now, Donald J. Trump had been burnishing his brand, i.e. him, since the 1980s. And indeed, he was getting big numbers with his very popular TV show, The Apprentice. Catchphrase, you're fired. And he was literally using that in the campaign to run up to 2016 election. And so, yes, more than somebody like Ronald Reagan with Donald J. Trump, his celebrity got him past the post. This is one of the few times I will get political because what I find fascinating about Donald Trump is he is incredibly divisive in America. There are people who will literally riot at the Capitol to try and keep him in as president. That's how passionately they feel for Donald J. Trump, but it's also a matter of historical record that he is the only president to have been impeached twice. And yes, he's tried to say that this is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. The 2020 election, but there is no evidence to that whatsoever. Every time it's gone to court, it has failed miserably. So, 
you believe you, but that's the other side of the story. And what I find interesting is while he's very divisive in America, he ain't divisive in the rest of the world. I'm sorry, but the rest of the world was laughing at America for the four years of the Donald Trump presidency. But the point is, he treated the presidency, unlike Reagan, who absolutely got as close as you can in a republic, the kind of sacred elements of the presidency, every president up until Trump got that it was something special, that the, the seat, the name was bigger than the man. But Donald Trump's the first person to use the presidency as basically a springboard, a marketing campaign to further enrich himself and the Trump brand, which... I have issues with, and so do lots of Americans. But yes, the rest of the world pretty much agrees with me on that one. There are a few exceptions, but generally they tend to be dictators. But again, it wasn't like Trump was pretending to be president prior to him becoming president. And so with Zelensky in Servant of the People, in hindsight, you've got just over 50 episodes. You've got four years of what turned out to be an election manifesto, which nobody has ever done before. Nobody was expecting. When they were writing season one, this was just meant to be fun. Now, the next thing I'm going to be saying is it was hard to find. What I found interesting is I was abroad. I was in Poland earlier this year, and I saw that it was on Polish Netflix. And I thought, oh, okay, it's finally got to Netflix, and I'll watch it when I get home. And yeah, when I came, I realized it's not on Netflix. So it took me quite a long time to find it. Because the other thing is, what's it called? Should I be looking for Sluga Narodu or should I be looking for Servant of the People? In the end, I discovered it. It's basically on demand at Channel 4. So I was able to go to Channel 4 and finally sit down and watch it. And this is the thing. There are some people who've been criticizing it, saying, look, the only reason why people are watching it now outside of Ukraine is because what's happened in Ukraine subsequent to 2019. And you know what? They're right. Because let's be honest, I have not watched any other Ukrainian TV apart from perhaps some news reports from the front line during the war. But in terms of Ukrainian comedy... That's not something I know anything about. I am aware that Vladimir Zelensky was a comedian prior to him becoming president. I was aware that there was this TV show that strangely told the future. But that was it. If people want to turn around and say, you're only watching it because of that, well, fine. You probably only watch Succession because people were raving about it. People influence other people's viewing habits. And I'm assuming that the fact that I ended up watching it on Channel 4 means that Channel 4 had to buy it from Ukraine and seeing Ukraine's economy certainly isn't what it used to be prior to the Russian invasion. Every bit of money helps, I suppose. So yeah, let's, let's sort of break it down. And the first thing I'm going to start with is a good friend of mine, who I'm not going to give you their name, at university level, he studied both German and Russian. And he ended up being, for a time, he is an Englishman, like myself, and he moved to Russia, and he was a journalist in an English-language newspaper in the 1990s in Russia. And I ended up going to Moscow to spend some time with him. It was an amazing time, and the Russian people fell over themselves to be friendly towards me. And it was, it was the heady days of the 90s when Putin was just a sort of unknown kind of minor politician at that point in St. Petersburg. 
So my point here is this, that I always remember, there's no doubt that my friend has forgotten this conversation, but I asked him, what's funny in Russian? There's this reputation in the West because the Cold War had only just ended, the Iron Curtain had only just come down, and the reputation of Russians is they were humorless. And I was seeing how vibrant the place was. And he said to me that the very, and bearing in mind he knew two languages, he goes, the very last thing you can learn in any language is its sense of humor, its sense of comedy. And I said, well, why is that? And as he said it, you're sitting there and probably going, oh yeah, that's right. Because comedy is incredibly complex. What does it do? There are plays on words. Some words sound very similar or the same, but have completely different meanings in pretty much every language. And so you have to have very good vocabulary to know which which is which, for example, or two, two, and two. And therefore you can play around with these misunderstandings. It's wordplay. You're going to have to get the dictionary out. Also, he then said that it's also a reference to the history, casual comments about famous people in that country's history, which may be completely unknown in other countries, which is, again, very true. And then you've got things like the current political situation. So you actually have to know the economics, the politics of this country. And so when you combine all of those things, you kind of need to know history, you need to know vocabulary, and you need to know economics and current affairs. Those are four very big topics on top of actually learning a language as well. And I said to him, okay, so seeing I can't speak Russian, what's your summary of Russian comedy? And he goes, I still haven't quite got there yet, Jem, because it seems to me to be halfway slapstick comedy and the other half deep political philosophy. <laughs> okay, fair enough. If that's what's knocking them out in Voronezh or, or wherever, then you, you do you, Russia. So the other thing in the 1990s, and I, I just... I love this fact, and please bear with me if you are perhaps under the age of 35. There was a British comedian called Benny Hill, and he was very popular in the 70s on into the 80s in Britain. He was on ITV, and he got big viewership numbers. But he was also huge in America. And here's the weird thing. He was also huge in Russia. Now, there aren't many things that Russia, America, and Britain agree on, least of all comedy. But Benny managed to put an olive branch around the world, and trying to explain to a modern audience what Benny Hill was is not good. This man, A, would not have been able to make his comedy, and if he did, he would have been cancelled slash me too'd in a heartbeat. A lot of his comedy sketches were largely visual comedy, kind of physical comedy, which is why I presume it played well. It wasn't just Russia. All around the world, everybody kind of knew Benny Hill. And a lot of his sketches were kind of silly. Like, he tries to pull a man's hat off and it turns out it, for some comedic reason, it's like nailed to his head or welded to his head. And so what should be really easy becomes very, very difficult. A classic kind of setup, which would be familiar for Buster Keaton or Laurel and Hardy or Charlie Chaplin, something like that. But what gave it added spice is the Benny Hill girls. There were quite often scenes where a woman might be walking around and for various comedic reasons her dress would fall off. And what was she wearing underneath? Kind of 
lingerie and the sort of stockings and suspenders type thing that I have been informed by many women are generally not what women find comfortable and wish to wear underneath their day attire, particularly when they're wearing trousers. So anyway, there's that cliche. And then invariably, Benny Hill himself was a grey-haired, middle-aged, chubby guy. And he was just starting his career in the late 1960s. If you've ever seen The Italian Job, the original Italian Job with Michael Caine, there is Benny Hill in it. And he's kind of already got that kind of sense of humour about him. He he likes big girls, as he keeps saying. He's this sort of scientist. And he was just very British. There's this tradition in Britain of bawdy comedy. Things like the, you've got like the end of the pier naughty postcards. Lots of doublon tendres and things like that. And Benny Hill was, if you like, had, had sort of siphoned that, concentrated it, put it on TV, and like I said, he was a big hit. Into the 80s, where even in the 80s, it was started deeming that a middle-aged man chasing a sort of scantily clad young buxom woman around in her underwear probably isn't a good idea. And so even in the 80s, there was a proto kind of Me Too movement. However, the thing that you probably might be aware of is there is this thing where right at the end, he's basically wound up every, like I say, it's a series of sketches, but towards the end, there's a number of sketches where he's playing the same character. He basically makes a whole bunch of people irate, and then they all chase him. And I guess the comedy is, he may be always after the girl, but the girl always rejects him, because anything else would be creepy, I guess criminal, whereas as it is, it's just creepy. Haha. -ha. So there is this specific piece of music, which I'm hoping Greg will put in. Where everything is sped up. So it's kind of like silent movies. Everybody's running much faster than they possibly could. Everybody in all the sketches sort of like come together and they're all out to get him. And there's this piece of music. And you will see versions of it in things like The Simpsons, for example. Going all the way back now to the beginning of all of this, you've got this idea of comedy. So I was sitting there going, all right, I have huge respect for Vladimir Zelensky, the president, and I know he's a comedian, but am I going to laugh at Ukrainian comedy? Particularly with all those things and, and what my friend said rattling around in my head. And what I'm pleased to announce is, clearly Ukrainian comedy, or at least this type of comedy, is fairly easily translatable. Yes, they do make occasional references to certain political people in the past, which you don't get unless you're Ukrainian. However, the comedy line about Putin, that's age like fine wine, because I know who he is and things only got worse between Ukraine and Putin. But then there is a relative amount of, not so much slapstick, but sort of situational comedy. The opening, I thought that you would take most of the first season before he becomes president, but he becomes president in episode one, season one. And actually what happens is the teachery stuff you get as flashbacks. You see why certain things happen in the TV show because it flashbacks to his students in 10B and various promises he made them as things moved along, which he's now having to do as president. And there's very funny bits as they sort of try and get him together. It's like, okay, we now need to get you a suit. We now need to get you a watch. And it's like, we now need to take a photo of you in the suit. And he smiles and he goes, don't smile, this is for your security pass. And he goes, oh, sorry. So he looks very stern as they take another photo. He goes, no, no, this one's actually for the, your presidential photo. And so I'd so start smiling. And he goes, here you are with the workers. And they just trundle in two guys wearing boiler suits and hard hats. And he's in a green screen. He's like, okay, so this is your photo with the workers. And then they look at what the guys put in as a background. It's a tropical island. Went, try again. And then it's this foundry. 
So this is the kind of comedy that would work anywhere. It is not hugely politically baiting satire as savage as something like In the Loop or Veep or something like that. Instead, it's more heartwarming and all-inclusive. I would say, and I know this is a weird comparison, think Ted Lasso. There is a little bit of drama, but nothing too hard, at least in the first two series. And then the comedy is light. It's not trying to be edgy or sweary. It does start with a sweary rant. The trigger for all this point is basically he's a poorly paid teacher. All the students leave. He then has a rant to his best friend, another teacher, about how terrible the corruption is in Ukraine, about how teachers are getting no chances. And if we're trying to train these kids for the next generation, what's the point? They're all going to leave the country. We need to build the country. And one of the kids films this and puts this on YouTube. And that creates a sensation. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That's if you like the inciting incident that leads to him becoming this good man. This is like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. You know, that classic Frank Capra movie. This is the classic example of a good man trying to do good surrounded by vipers in the corrupt area of politics. And it's interesting that play pretty much plays the same around the world. Incoming call. We interrupt your regularly programmed podcast to say, hey, it's Jem again, same guy, just to point out my new book, Hollywood and History, what the movies got wrong from ancient Greece to Vietnam by Jem Daduchu, me, it's out now. It's a look at Hollywood throughout its entire history from about 1900 to today, looking at different eras that are portrayed in Hollywood movies. It could be Cleopatra. It could be Selma. It could be Platoon. It could be The Longest Day. Loads of different eras, different types of movies. It's a fun romp. I point out why things might be historically accurate. I tell you, this is what you see, but this is what actually happened. I am so proud of this book. It's available now. It's published. So wherever you get books, you can put in a request to get it, support your local bookstore, or indeed, if you want to just get it online, wherever you want to look for Hollywood and History by Jem Daduchu. Thank you for your support. Now, what's truly weird about this is how prescient it is. You know, I was talking to my wife about this and she said, yeah, it's very prescient. I went, I think we need a different word for it. It's almost like this is time travel. To give you an idea, at the start of episode two, he is a history teacher, for heaven's sakes. And there is this dream sequence. He's lying in the beds, like thrashing around. 
and next to him is two men with beards and wearing togas and one is Herodotus and the other one is Plutarch and he's actually you've seen him reading a book of, of Plutarch in the first episode in fact it's how he's introduced lying in his bed in his pants and vest and it's like okay we're going to see his face and actually the the book is lying over his face so you actually see this bearded Greek guy joke number one but anyway the point is these two philosophers or historians are looking at him and talking about what he could become and saying history has its eye on you and he is a good man and you know will he rise to the challenges and it's like well so long as he keeps it again almost like a manifesto it's like this is exactly what he was like once we get to the really hard stuff that's sort of coming down the road that nobody could see coming but we now know actually happened and what's interesting is there are a number of conspiracy theories that he was put in power by the CIA and what's interesting is that's literally a line from the TV show it's like oh has he been installed by the Americans to be pro-western so you know that's in the TV show and just because he's got previous work as a media person doesn't mean that he's faking it again a lot of the people who feel like that tend to be right-wingers in America who like Donald Trump who is literally a celebrity figure and also Ronald Reagan again both of those are Republican i.e. right-wing presidents in America now the other thing that's kind of weird going on here is let's imagine for a moment that he was installed by the CIA he gets installed in 2019 this is late into the presidency of Donald Trump so you would think that if Trump's got his man in the CIA and they really want him to be pro-Western, well, then he's going to do everything that Trump wants him to do. And yet, later on in 2019, there is this ridiculously weird situation. This is the first time I'd ever heard of Vladimir Zelensky. And basically what happens is that Donald Trump is worried about Joe Biden. It's clear that Joe Biden, who had previously been the vice president to Barack Obama, is now probably going to be the candidate running against him in the 2020 election, which is obviously what actually happened. And so Trump tries to go after Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, who had been well paid for not a lot in Ukraine. And so he sends, Trump sends Rudy Giuliani to dig up dirt in Ukraine. And there's a press conference with Giuliani talking animatedly and Zelensky sitting there looking a little confused because the rest of the world was looking at this pretty confused and ultimately no dirt was found now if people want to say well the only reason why hunter biden was given an overpaid job that he was underqualified for is because his dad was the ex-vice president of the united states you're right and it is again pointed out in the tv show how corrupt ukraine is and it is again a matter of record one of the most corrupt countries in the world is ukraine now that's probably changed since Zelensky's got involved and since a war's happened because this really has been a defining moment for Ukraine. It's really galvanized them into becoming a specific nation. I've said this in some of my training. I find it fascinating. You go around the world and there is always that battle or that war or that war leader that is just well known in that country and probably not that well known anywhere else. And the story is either we didn't have many troops and we won or we didn't have many troops 
but we went down fighting and we fought the enemy tooth and nail and we we died with respect we died with our boots on kind of thing and it doesn't matter if it's the battle of sekigahara in japan or the battle of hastings in england it is the same thing with the ukraine russia war that's going on at the moment because too much blood has been spilt and ukraine didn't cave putin expected ukraine to collapse within the first week most of the west expected it to collapse in the first week and a year and a half later russia's losing and that's happening because of the churchillian is is the phrase we keep hearing in england you know zelensky is great at a speech he's great at a speech in the tv show but one of the first things I realized, we're onto something special here. Biden actually offered him, Biden is now president of the United States, and he actually offers Zelensky safe passage to America. And his response was a very pithy, I need ammunition, not a ride. That's a t-shirt immediately. It's those kind of short, snappy lines that get remembered in history. And Ukraine is incredibly proud of how the whole world is paying attention to them now. Whereas when this TV show was coming out, already... Russia had managed to snatch a little bit of the Donbass and the whole of the Crimean Peninsula because of the little so-called little green men in 2014, this sort of paramilitary operation that happened so quickly the West couldn't react in time and it happened so quickly it kind of lulled Putin into a false sense of security that using a quote that Hitler used about the Soviet Union, you kick the door down and the whole rotten structure collapses in on itself. And it didn't work for Hitler and it didn't work for Putin. So there we go. What's interesting is there is a tonal shift when we get to season three, because by now he's running for actual president. And so I guess a little bit like Ted Lasso, it gets more serious. I'd like Ted Lasso. It sort of, well, to be fair to Ted Lasso, I did a whole episode on that a while ago. And, and look, here's a quick shout out for a few other episodes. Yeah, I did one on Ted Lasso. I did it just before the final episode. Season three is easily the weakest. It's very patchy. It has some good bits. It's got a lot of unnecessary stuff. It's there's some very clunky writing in it. Very bad. But does it stick the landing? Yes, the last episode is really fun and satisfying. And it's a great goodbye to all those characters. But it really tries to make you cry. But because it had been so patchy, there was just generally this feeling of like, it's time for it to finish. I'm very glad I've been on the journey. But yeah, it's time. Three seasons is a pretty good stretch from a commercial. Anyway, that's that. But with this, there was a different way to say goodbye. And the story almost continues. And it has this whole other level of nuance and power to it that it was never meant to have because of real world events. Well, I was sitting there watching it and he's talking to these very enthusiastic teenagers in 10B there's a part of me thinking these are probably played by like 18 year olds and therefore if this is 2015 and they are 18 then they are 24 by the time of the invasion some of those people invariably are fighting on the front lines now i tried really hard to find any information on any of the cast or crew as to what they might be doing during the war or you know, even sadder if any of them had actually died during the war i couldn't find any information this is a, a shout out now if anybody hears this and happens to know information about the cast and crew which i hope are all completely safe let's assume they're all safe and all sitting at home and maybe not in the front line they must be reliving their time going there was always something about vladimir that i thought yeah you know he's a special kind of guy and now we're seeing it and this is again why it's so unique because yes 
Zelensky has turned out to be an excellent war leader, like Churchill. He does great speeches. He knows how to lift the morale. He knows how to build international coalitions, exactly like Churchill. But Churchill had been a politician or actually a soldier for decades before he gets his time in 1940. Whereas in episode one of this TV show, you see him sitting on the toilet, okay? There's no comedy footage of any world leader I can think of sitting on the toilet. Actually filmed with the real person, I'm not talking about AI generated or anything like that. We're talking about the man who it was the Ukrainian voice of Paddington. Now actually I think that's a mistake because he's got this gravelly voice and he clearly can speak English and I've, I've already done a whole episode on the Ukraine war, maybe you want to listen to that one as well. And actually this is comedy, I've already done two episodes on comedy, I've done one on just generally comedy, that's probably about a year old now, and one I'm going to say randomly about three months ago on satire, and then there's this one which is about a very specific comedy rather than just comedy concepts if you like. But this is the thing, he's been satirical and I've heard British comedians saying he's kind of killed satire because we sit there sniping at the government. This guy ran for office and ended up being able to change the system. Whereas what do we do? We just try and make rude jokes about political leaders every week. And now he's running a country during a war where he's outnumbered and outgunned and he's doing a really good job of it. And I mean, it does make someone like Ian Hislop look like a posh boy with no chin, because he is, but he is still very funny. So the, the point here is, we've just got something that's almost impossible to define. Yes, it was written as a comedy that then evolves into kind of a political drama that then foreshadows real world events. It's one of these things where you have to watch this because it's very watchable. I don't know if you'll laugh, but I guess like Ted Lasso, you're not rolling on the floor all the time. But it is very watchable. But you're just sitting there going, really? <laughs> you know, how did they know that five years before it happened? And the other great thing is you're seeing Kiev pre-war. You're seeing Ukraine, in essence, in its prime. It's sort of sunny and hopeful. And yet pretty much the only time you tend to see, well, what brought the world to their attention of Kiev is the war and air raid sirens and explosions and you know, the night sky being lit up by various missile barrages and, and drone attacks and things like that. None of this is happening here. And it shows you what a lovely place Ukraine actually is if it's not in the middle of a massive grinding war. Going back to my friend, there's the society of it as well. The way they just casually make meals, prepare coffee and things like that. I've seen coffee being prepared that same way in both Russia and in Turkey. Clearly, in kind of Central Europe slash, you know, Anatolia, that is the way you prepare coffee. It is absolutely not the way you prepare coffee in Britain or indeed America, which America does it very different to most of Western Europe as well. There are three clearly distinct ways to produce that beautiful morning cup of hot coffee and it's just casually, it's, it's just showing you there are things that you can relate to. They may go to a, a shopping mall. They may have a stretch limousine. They will have security guys with little earpieces and things like that. All that kind of stuff you see in an American movie. But there are just little touches where it's like the food is different. Obviously, the language is different and so on and so forth. That it's like you are learning something about Ukrainian culture. Obviously, 
its subtitles so you can hear the language. And even if you have a passing understanding of a few basic words of Russian, you'll probably hear them in there. Things like yes, da, and stuff like that. But also, you notice that there are occasionally words that sound Russian, but don't sound quite right. And clearly, that is the difference between Ukrainian and Russian going on there, which is so interesting to me. So you're seeing a piece of history being written before the history happened. And you can't say that about anything else. Yeah, sure, there's science fiction. There are some really canny people. For example, someone like H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds, where this idea of mechanized machines, in his case, tripods rolling across the land, kind of bulletproof and things like that, and how technology, you know, superior technology is winning a war. That is presaging sort of like 15 years before World War One, World War One, but a tripod doesn't actually look anything like a tank. And it was all happening in London, and actually that's not where most of World War One happened. There were a few air raids and things like that with zeppelins in the sky, which is kind of like an alien invasion. But anyway, it's metaphorical, shall we say. He didn't literally write about 1916, there's going to be a battle at the Somme and it's going to involve heavy machine gun fire and there's going to be 60,000 British casualties on the first day. You know, that would be scary, kind of Nostradamus levels of prediction, although Nostradamus actually doesn't predict anything for the record. Again, it's heaped in allegory and metaphor, so you can basically see whatever you want in it. I'm just using that as a sort of bit of pop culture reference there. H.G. Wells used a bit of science fiction to tell a compelling story that seemed to have some echoes about a future war. This is literally talking about the guy and what he wants to do to Ukraine, because Vladimir Zelensky was talking about reducing the amount of corruption. And clearly the reason why he's been able to get all this stuff from the West is if Ukraine were basically a bunch of mafia, People would not be giving them some of the most high-tech weapons in the world. There's obviously a genuine belief that it's going to be used the right way, and particularly these more longer-range weapons, that what the West keeps saying is, please don't fire them into Russia. We do not need a continental-level war that could very easily tip into a nuclear war. And Ukraine has basically honoured that and done that. It's kind of blown my mind watching this, and just listening to Vladimir Zelensky. Unfortunately, because of the subtitles, I don't watch him as much as I should, because... He looks exactly the same as he would do in a suit, because that's what he did. And of course, he has made a deliberate choice during the war that he's not wearing a suit anymore. He's wearing military fatigues and he's now always got a beard. But again, if you look at 2019, when he's talking to Rudy Giuliani, he doesn't have a beard. In essence, he's grown that almost as a sign of penance or a sign that, you know, I'm dressed like I could go to the front line tomorrow. And he has gone to the front line on many occasions. But the point is, it's him doing, as it turned out, what he was good at doing all along. This is a man in the Ukrainian version of Dancing with Stars, that's Strictly for, for British listeners. You know, again, who's won Dancing with Stars or Strictly, who has then run an effective military campaign? Again, the one I keep going back to is Winston Churchill was not known for his dancing or for his dubbing of animation, which would have existed in the 1940s. He could have been the UK voice of Pinocchio, but no, that wasn't required of him. And so 
there are just all these contradictions and all these things. When people want to point him, go, well, of course he's good on TV. He's media trained. Yeah, he is. But again, you've got all these other people throughout history who had years of practice, but they had years of practice of doing that job. Like I said, Churchill literally been a politician for decades, and therefore he was just doing more political speeches just during a war. And here's something freaky. Spoiler, I guess, for the last episode of the entire series it's I, I don't want to go too much into it but the three episodes of series three are much longer and as i've already said they've got a different tone to the rest of it but what kind of blew my mind when i was watching it is there is a key point that happens in the future from their perspective it's all filmed for real in 2019 and yet they say that there is a big major event that happens in February of 2022 that becomes a major unifying factor for Ukraine. Now, it wasn't the invasion by Russia. It's actually a mining thing. Watch it if you want to. But again, that's just an eerily prescient thing that they get the date right of something that is a major unifying factor for Ukraine that they couldn't possibly know in 2019. This series blows your mind. So, how to finish this off? Watch it. Just watch it, okay? This this is probably the most important... I mean, this is a weird thing to say. Is it the best TV show ever? No. I don't know. Is that The Sopranos? Or, I don't know, is it The Simpsons? Who, who can say? Take whatever pick you want, okay? There are lots of great TV shows. But this is the most historically important TV show ever. Because it told the history before the history actually happened. And you can't say that about literally any other media ever. It's the most accurate fortune telling in history. Of history. So there we go. Gonna leave it there. As always, another episode coming soon.